Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, we have been looking at the Lord's Prayer together uh, as a way to nurture the habit of prayer in our own lives. We, uh, we learn how to pray by being around folks who pray. And so looking at this prayer that he taught us as a way for us to be around Jesus as he prays and to listen to him as he prays and to think about what he meant us to be praying for when we pray. This, uh, this teaching us to pray was a great gift from Jesus because prayer is one of the places where God has promised to meet with people like us and to share his life with us for our good. So this morning we come to the fourth thing that Jesus told us to ask for when we pray. It also happens to be the first time in this prayer where we ask something for ourselves. Give us this day our daily bread. So I'm going to read from Mark 6 for us. It's printed in the order of worship, and you can follow along there if you'd like as I read. I'll read verses 30 through 44. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them. And they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, You give them something to eat. And they said to him, Shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said, five and two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples and set them before the people, to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish, and those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. This is God's word, and it's given for our good. Let me pray for us. Father, we ask uh, that you would use this word that we have read and heard together that we'll talk about and think about for a few minutes to meet us with the word that bears our flesh, who on this Ascension Sunday we remember is with you praying for people like us. So Father, we ask that you would show us his grace, his love, his mercy, that you would show us how he satisfies, that you would change us by it. And we prayed in his name. Amen. Well, when I was uh, little, younger, um, I was always in awe of my older cousins. 
I, I only had uh, guy cousins, and I was especially in awe of my uh, cousin Brian. He was about six years older than me, but he seemed a lot older. He was uh, one of those guys that was world-weary and cynical at the age of 16, um, but not, not in the grumpy way. Um, Brian was always cracking jokes, making people laugh, inviting you into whatever it was that he was interested in at the time. And he was good at all kinds of stuff. He trained dogs. Uh, he had a computer and knew how to program it, which in the 80s was kind of like being a wizard if you were a teenager. Uh, and he was really good at video games. Uh, and one day some of the cousins were playing video games on the old Atari in the basement at my aunt and uncle's house. And I can't remember what game it was exactly. I think it was Defender or a knockoff of Defender or something like it. Anyhow, it, I was playing. It was my turn. And uh, I remember just completely lighting that game up, just completely lighting it up, just blasting through stuff, flying around like I was inspired. I, I didn't know how I was doing it. I had never played that game that well before. I was surprised. I was overjoyed. I felt like I was on fire. And my cousins were behind me cheering me on in my ear. Well, finally I hit something and uh, the turn was over and when I turned around to all of my cousins to get high fives from them, they were all looking at me with these dumb grins on their faces and that's when I saw it. There was a joystick in Brian's hand. <laughs> and that's when I realized that I had not been playing the game at all. <laughs> Brian had been playing it and he had the slyest grin of them all. I had thought all of that good stuff was coming from me but it was all from Brian. And church, I don't know how to say it any clearer than that. That is our whole lives. That is all of our lives. No matter who we are, no matter what we believe, that is our whole life. For everything we've ever had and anything we ever will have, we are totally dependent. That stuff does not come from us. It all comes from God. And if you want to know what it means to pray, give us this day our daily bread. If we want to pray that prayer and mean it when we pray it, this is the place where we have to start. We have to start like children. We have to be like children, totally dependent on another for all that we have. I mean, this is what Jesus told us we were supposed to be like. This is what he said said, if you want to follow me, you've got to be like a child. If you want to be part of the kingdom of God, you have to be like a child. And church, this is one of those places where the rubber meets the road. <laughs> what we have doesn't come from us. It comes from God. And the passage that we just read together makes this dependence about as clear as it can be. All four of the gospel writers tell this story about Jesus feeding the folks that day, but Mark's telling of it is the most detailed telling of all. The disciples, uh, you know, as is their accustomed way, the disciples play the unwitting straight men to Jesus' work with the loaves and the fish. And in verses 35 through 37, uh, it's like they're doing Jesus a favor when they come up to him and tell him what time it is. You know how he gets when he's teaching and loses track of time, so we better, go, we better go and tell him, Jesus, this is a desolate place and the hour is now late. You should send all these people away so they can buy themselves something to eat. And it's like Jesus has been waiting all afternoon for them to say that. 
And his response is, you give them something to eat. Now that is, uh, that's a pretty amazing thing for Jesus to say for lots and lots of reasons, but chiefly it's amazing because Jesus knows very well <laughs> that there is no way on God's green earth that they could ever do it. They cannot do that. <laughs> not on their own, not in a million years. And now they have walked right into it. Jesus has gently backed them into that corner, and they have walked right into that corner. And now they say exactly what it is they're supposed to say, and it is impossible to miss the sarcasm in it. Shall we go buy 200 denarii worth of bread, Jesus, and give it to them? Which is to say, you know we don't have that kind of money lying around, and even if we did, which again, we don't, if we were going to go out into the surrounding towns and villages and buy all that bread, it would be tomorrow afternoon before we could get it all back here. And with that, it becomes clear. <laughs> we are entering into the sheer joy and surprise of an impossible act. It is impossible. It simply cannot happen. Which is why the disciples at the very beginning had their plan, had their idea. You need to send them away so they can go buy their own things to eat. Unless, of course, uh, there is someone present uh, for whom it is not impossible. Unless there's someone around who filled the great and wide sea with creatures innumerable. Unless there is someone standing in that desolate place who made Leviathan and set the little guy loose to play and terrify everyone who goes down to the sea in ships. What Jesus does next is what we call a miracle. A miracle is usually something we define as uh, the suspension of natural laws, and I guess that's helpful for people like us if we need to grope for something to explain something that can't really be explained. But the bigger point I take from all of this is that natural laws is kind of a category error when we speak of God. This whole place is his. All of it. And he does what he pleases. <laughs> and he is very good. He is very good and his mercy and his steadfast love for people like us reaches to the heavens. We will never see the end of it ever, ever ever. And righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. Church, he is the one on whom we depend every second of every day. And I hope it's obvious. He's good for it. To pray, give us this day our daily bread is to always start here, to remember first that we depend on him and he is good for it. Jesus has graciously, kindly backed his friends into the corner so that they can see that this is as clear as day. <laughs> we are dependent people, and we get the benefit of it. Part, about, part of praying that prayer, give us this day our daily bread, part of praying it for people like us is being trained to know, forming the habit in us to know that he is good for it. To pray this prayer is to build in us the deeply Christian habit of knowing that he's good for it, knowing that we can depend on him. We need to know that, church, and believe it deeply because here's the truth. The truth is that he always answers the prayer for daily bread in his own time, 
and in his own way. That's the truth. And sometimes we pray for a thing that we see as good and as necessary, and we pray for it every day for our whole lives, and we don't ever get it. And that's the truth. And intellectually, you know, intellectually we can understand it. Intellectually we can say that God's vision of good and God's vision of necessary is infinitely more complex and great than ours, and we intellectually understand that. And we understand that sometimes it's possible to ask for a thing that will not actually be good. We can get that. And intellectually we can understand that God's vision for good and for necessary, it's tied to things that we couldn't possibly ever fathom or see and may never fathom or see. We get all of that with our brains, and that is important to get with our brains. But sometimes not getting the bread that we think we need, sometimes that's really painful. And that pain can lead to bitterness or walking away from God or acting like he doesn't exist if we haven't first formed a habit of childlike dependence on the Father who is absolutely, positively good for it. And one of the ways, church, that we train that habit, one of the ways that we build that muscle in our faith is praying every day, give us this day our daily bread. So thank you, Jesus, for teaching us this prayer because we definitely need it more than we thought we did. But of course, that story didn't start with Jesus' uh, disciples telling him what time it is. So let's go back to the beginning for a second. Earlier, Jesus had sent the 12 out two by two. He had sent them out in mission. You can read about that in the uh, first part of the chapter later in the afternoon if you want. He sent them out to preach and to teach and to heal. And then in verse 30, they come back, and Mark says they told him all that they had done and taught while they were away. I'm sure it was an amazing conversation, but Mark doesn't tell us a thing about it. (laughs) Instead, he tells us that Jesus saw they needed a break, and he had a plan for it. Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. Mark's editorial on that in verse 31 is that on top of them coming back, the crowds had been all around Jesus. They were gathering, they were coming and going, and the disciples had no leisure, not even leisure to eat. These guys are ragged, they're worn out. In all the ways that human beings can get ragged and worn out, it doesn't take too much imagination for us to imagine what that could have been like. So Jesus hustles them into a boat. And they make their way up shore a little bit to a desolate place. The problem is the getaway was seen. (laughs) It was spied by the people and the news spreads quickly and this big crowd starts following the boat from the shore as it makes its way up the lake. Mark says it was 5,000 men. Matthew tells us that was just the men. There's women and children too. It is a lot of people, a big crowd getting further and further away from their homes, further and further away from their villages trying to keep up with Jesus in the boat. And they do keep up with Jesus in the boat. And the disciples and Jesus go ashore and they see a great crowd. (laughs) And I do wonder what the disciples thought when they saw that crowd. (laughs) Especially after they had been dreaming on that whole boat ride of getting some R&R. But we don't know what they thought because Mark tells us what Jesus thought. He had compassion on them 
because they were like sheep without a shepherd. A bunch of people with questions and no answers to them. A bunch of people with distress and no sense of relief. A bunch of people with ailments and no healing and guilt and no forgiveness. A bunch of people shedding tears with no consolation. Normal people. People like us. Fallen people trying to scratch their way out in a fallen world. And Jesus sees it all and he can't help but move towards the trouble. He can't help but move towards them. He can't help but move towards us. He can't help but get off that boat and go to work. His disciples need rest, and these people need a shepherd. And they also need a bite to eat, which we learn later on. And so he provides for them what they cannot provide for themselves. That's what Jesus does. And this is another truth that undergirds that prayer for daily bread, along with dependence. This is another thing that we are called to believe when we pray it, and that is that we do not sustain ourselves. None of us sustains ourselves. We do not sustain ourselves. We don't. The book of Hebrews says this about as clearly as you can hear it. It was our New Testament lesson this morning. The author says, he upholds the universe by the word of his power. The Apostle Paul tells his friends at Colossae the same thing, but in a little different way. In him, all things hold together. In him, all things hold together. Church, those two things mean exactly what they sound like they mean, (laughs) where they don't mean much of anything at all. And what they mean is that every moment of our existence, every moment of existence of everything that ever was and everything that is now and everything that ever will be, all of it is upheld by God, specifically by the Son through whom and for whom all things were created. Church, he is the coherence of everything. All things hold together in him, everything. I don't know how. I don't know how it's even possible. I don't know why he didn't just wind it up and and let everything take care of itself, but he didn't. That's what I know, he didn't. And my breath and yours, every moment right now, every pump of the heart, every breath that we take, it's a gift. All of it is a gift. It's his good gift. And it's not like if he stopped making everything cohere in himself. If he, if, he, if he stopped upholding the universe by the word of his power, it's not like, oh, then, then things would slowly run down and we'd slowly run out of resources. It's that if he stopped holding everything together, there would be nothing that remained anywhere at all but him. Church, we don't sustain ourselves. We do not. And people like us and in places like this don't think about that very much, do we? (laughs) We just don't. In fact, the default is pretty much the opposite of that. We think really that it's all up to us and further, we usually think we're pretty competent at it. Like I've been sustaining things, you know, for a good long run. (laughs) And when when we do that, we come to believe that things like daily bread, that's our right. 
And the only thing that could take away that right is some catastrophic injustice or, or some horrible accident. And the gaping flaw in that way of going through life is that when the injustice comes and when the accident happens, we fall apart in despair. Or we become intolerably furious and we rail and we yell and we shake our fists at the sky, at the God that we've forgotten or pretended to forget. And if you've been around the block a couple of times, and I know some of you have, you already know this is true and you don't need to hear me say it. Because the injustice always happens. And the accident usually comes. And the antidote to falling apart and the antidote to that fury at the sky and the antidote to the unbearable burden of feeling like we sustain ourselves, the antidote to that is to remember and rest in the fact that we do not sustain ourselves. Our lives, like our daily bread, they are gifts from God. He is the one who sustains us. He is the one who sustains everything around us. He's the one who sustains us when we need rest. He's the one who sustains us when we have questions that do not have answers to them. He is the one who sustains us when we feel distress and no relief and when we have ailments and there is no healing. When we feel guilt and we can't imagine there could be forgiveness. And we cry tears and we don't know where the comfort will come. And he has compassion on sheep. He has compassion on sheep that don't have a shepherd. And church, one of the ways that we remember and rest in this good news and train ourselves to rest and remember that good news is to pray every day. Give us our daily bread. Because if you don't, we won't have it. Church, all of us in here, we all need that habit in our back pocket. We all do. If you don't need it right now, you will. We need it. Give us this day our daily bread. This prayer is where the usual disorder and the usual franticness of our interior lives find order and calm. But there is a reason that Jesus teaches us to pray the way he teaches us to pray. He says, first, you got to say, Father. <laughs> and then you have to say, hallowed be your name. And then you have to say, your kingdom come. And then you say, your will be done. And once we have inclined ourselves that way, once we have meant to incline ourselves that way, once we have settled as children into the presence of a God who upholds the universe by his power, we can have the confidence and trust and dependence we need to ask him for what we think we need. All of it, right? Bread, for sure, and health and clothes, and a place to stay, <laughs> and a good place to work, and good friends, and maybe a spouse, and a good government that does some good sometimes, and neighbors that keep an eye out for us. All of it, whatever we think we need. And this brings us back to Jesus feeding all those folks on that day. He makes two fish and five loaves go a really long way, a really long way. <laughs> Mark has zero interest in telling us the mechanics of it, even if we could understand the mechanics of it. But this is what Mark wants to tell us. They all ate and were satisfied. 
I mean, they had a meal, and it was a good one. They were satisfied. The, uh, the shorter catechism of the Presbyterian Church says that when we pray for our daily bread, this is what we're praying for. We are praying to receive a competent portion of all of the good things of this life and to enjoy his blessing with them. Man, I love that. God made everything and he made it very, very good. And our desire for those gifts isn't something to be ashamed of. It isn't something that we need to deaden or weaken in order to feel closer to God. It's just the opposite. God made us to enjoy the gifts he gives us. It glorifies him when we do. Our satisfaction of the gifts that God gives to us hallows his name. And that's exactly how he wants it. And I think that he's made us this way with these desires and with the capacity to enjoy him when they are met and to enjoy those things. I think he's given us those desires as a reflection of our deepest desire, of our deepest hunger, which is always for him. Whether we know it or not, <laughs> or whether we're willing to admit it or not, that is our deepest hunger. To know him, to be known by him, to enjoy him forever. And church, that's possible by faith in the one who said that he was the bread of life. The one who taught us to pray, give us this day our daily bread. Let me pray for us. Father, we take comfort in knowing that our elder brother Jesus is with you right now, ascended, and praying for us. And we hope, surely, that he's praying for daily bread that we could never dream of, that we don't have the capacity to even begin to think about for us. So we thank you and we praise you for that. And we, help, uh, we ask that you would help us to become a people who believe that we are dependent and that you're good for it and who do not try to sustain ourselves, but rest and remember that you sustain us and you are very good. Father, do this so that we can grow up in our faith and become more mature. Do this so that we can love this broken world around us. And we pray it in Christ's name, amen.